Hello and welcome back to another episode of Understanding Health. I'm your host, Liv Whistler, your guide into all things nutrition and functional medicine as we dive into physiology and lifestyle change, all to help you understand health better. Hello and good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode. It's really great to be here and thank you for taking time out of your day to support me and just what I'm trying to do. And as always, I do really hope it benefits you. Today, we're going to be diving into some some dietary guidelines. Every five years, the U.S. releases a new set of dietary guidelines. So in 2020, they released a new guide. So we're going to take a look at that as well as the Canadian guidelines and how the two differ. And especially when their process comes to the making policies and how they could come to different conclusions when the same data is available to everyone. Then we're going to look at what the American Heart Association has to say and Harvard Health. But I can almost assure you, almost all of us fall short of even the more lenient recommendations. Let's start with the dietary guidelines for Americans because it has the most flexible approach. If you decide to take a look at it yourself, it's 164 pages long, including references, but it covers a lot. Instead of focusing just on one food, they say it's more about an eating pattern. They also acknowledge that many chronic diseases are diet-related, and over half of Americans have, if not one or more, chronic diseases. They also looked at the past recommendations that came out in 2015 and only a little more than half of the Americans followed that guideline which is pretty similar to the 2020 version. As I mentioned it's pretty flexible especially when compared to the other guidelines yet we still fall short. They also include statistics saying 74% of Americans are overweight and heart disease is the leading cause of death in the U.S. Now, instead of focusing on one specific food for health, it's more about what a person consistently eats over time. They also take into cultures, into consideration, and healthy eating over a lifespan as well, and specific guides for each different age groups. They start all the way at birth, recommending breastfeeding for at least six months, and start adding in solids while still providing breast milk for at least one year of life, if not longer, and supplementing with vitamin D for breastfed babies. We know this milk is incredible for baby's health, and although formulas have come a long way, um, breast milk hasn't really been exactly replaced. Now, this is a crazy thing I recently heard. We know that the mom's milk can provide antibodies that can protect against illness, but I heard that you actually kiss your baby's head, you're getting samples of these bacteria or pathogens and then literally your body creates antibodies for that specific pathogen and then you can give it to your baby. Breast milk also contains enzymes and some hormones and cow's milk contains enzymes as well but when we pasteurize it the enzymes are actually killed off and as far as hormones go your baby doesn't make any melatonin for the first few weeks of life so your baby can get melatonin from the breast milk when your own body is producing it. We had Miranda Hannon on the show a few weeks ago and she talked a lot about motherhood so I'm not going to uh, you know, keep going on about this baby stage, but I won't say much more. However, I myself am a breastfeeding mom. And to be honest, I really hated it at first. It was such a struggle and I was so close to giving up and I kept trying because I knew it was healthy for her and we finally figured out. But even after I did, I just kept saying, oh man, like I have to do this for how long? I've just got to make it to the six month mark. Like 
I'm struggling through this, but now my baby is five months and it feels convenient to me. It doesn't feel like it's been so long. I don't have to warm up a bottle or bring anything but myself and my baby has food. And obviously no mom shaming here at all. I totally understand people have various situations and I do have the privilege of taking care of Gwen at home while I do school and, you know, pick up other random things like doing a podcast. But I just wanted to share my story to maybe encourage you if that's something that you want to do um, and that it does get easier and that it is healthy for your baby. Now, moving on as a child gets older, this one really blew my mind. They don't recommend giving a child added sugars until they are at least two years of age. I would have figured it was at least one year of age because who does not give their child a smash cake for their first birthday? Uh, But they actually recommend waiting until two years of age. Maybe the smash cake is an exception, but that's definitely really interesting to me because I feel like no one, no one does that. I don't know anyone who does that. Maybe now I'm going to try, but that's, that's a long time. Now, the unique things about the U.S. guidelines is the allowance for unhealthy foods in some regards, minus for those below two years old. Now, the good thing about this is that it's more of a holistic approach and sustainable for people, which maybe was their goal. However, it could also be interpreted as promoting some unhealthy foods and may not be clear enough on some issues. So I feel sort of divided on this. They talk about what to eat and how much. And if you're familiar with the USDA My Plate, maybe you've seen it when you're in school. They're still using that for the basis of what people should be eating. This plate graphic has bright colors on it, and half of the plate for few has a spot for fruit and vegetables, 30% grains, and 20% protein. They also have a little cup on the side for low-fat milk. Now, I think where pretty much everyone falls short is the fact that half of the plate has fruits and veggies on it. Normally in our culture, the center or the largest portion of the plate is meat, our protein source, and then we might have a side of veggies. But this is saying, actually, your protein should be a side to the veggies. It's interesting because I think protein is one of those macronutrients macronutrients that has not received any hate and we have people doing low fat and low carb but you don't really hear of anyone doing low protein Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing we don't want anyone doing low protein however but most Americans eat about 100 grams of protein a day but the recommended daily amount is only about half of that For example, they say that 8 grams of protein should be eaten per kilogram of body weight. So if a person weighs 75 kilograms, and for us Americans who use pounds, that is 165 pounds, so 60 grams of protein. To give you more perspective, there is 43 grams of protein in one cup of cooked chicken. So just by eating one meal, it's not hard to go past the requirements if you include those meat sources and personally I'm still trying to find the balance with this because I do like lifting weights and gaining muscle and I don't want to lose that so I'm trying to figure out what is a good number for me but basically if you make a fist with your hand that is how much protein should be on your your plate the size of your fist so that's kind of a simple go-to way now moving on from the protein there is a spot for grains now this is where some lenience comes in They say to consume grains, 50% of them should be whole grains. 
That means the recommendation allows for a decent amount of refined grains consumption. Things like white pasta, bagels, sandwich, bread, and pretzels. They also specify that you can consume less than 10% of your calories in sugar and no no more than 10% on saturated fats and limit sodium and alcohol. They do specify the need to limit sugar and saturated fats and sodium, but I personally feel like they don't do a great job of clarifying that refined grains specifically are not good for your health. Yes, you can argue they can be a part of a balanced diet. Yes, and I agree, consuming them at times makes this much more holistic and sustainable, but they actually make room on it for the MyPlate, which I feel like could come across as, oh, it's perfectly healthy. And in their chart for daily amount of food consumption, near the leafy greens is a refined green section, almost promoting it as a health food when they explicitly say later on, and I quote, dietary dietary patterns characterized by higher intake of red and processed meats, sugar sweetened foods and beverages, and refined grains are in of themselves associated with detrimental health outcomes. This is right here in the guide. However, most people are not going to read the entire thing. And at first glance, it might appear that refined grains are perfectly fine and healthy a part of a diet. Now, I'm not trying to like harp on the bagels and everything. If you want to have a bagel, that's fine. Um, It's just kind of interesting how they're wording that when they know, okay, these things are associated with poor health outcomes, but we're going to leave a quite a large spot with it instead of just saying oh just limit this but you know have it occasionally so sugar is another really interesting one they actually specify multiple times to limit sugar and i do feel like they did a better job of separating this from the other healthy foods versus the refined grains but once again they do give people a daily allowance they say 10 percent of your calories can come from sugar so on a 2000 calorie diet that is 50 grams of sugar And maybe you're trying to be healthy and limit sugar, but wait, I checked the soda can label and it only has 39 grams of sugar. That's in the daily limit. So it must not be bad for me to drink this as long as I don't go over my 50 grams. That's just kind of how I feel like this thought process might go. And they don't even say 50 grams. They actually just say 10% of calories, which I think is pretty vague. And I did the calculations off of a 2000 calorie diet, but maybe a normal, you know, someone who's not into nutrition like I am wouldn't even look at the label and just assume that what they're eating fits in because it's all about balance and they can fit everything into a healthy eating pattern. And I do agree, it is about balance. But when you're making a guide, I feel like it should set the standard for optimization. And I am really torn about this in some regards because I do want people to be able to enjoy life. Like I said, have balance. But in my opinion, consuming something every single day is not necessarily balance. It's a bad habit. You know, processed meats is something I know is really bad for you. But as much as these are gross to other people, I really enjoy hot dogs. I do, okay? I know they're gross. Technically, maybe it's the fact that I love to camp and I love roasting them over the fire. It's the nostalgia of that. I don't know. Oh, or hot dogs and mac and cheese. Mm, I don't know what it is. It brings out my inner child. I absolutely love it. But um, I do enjoy them on occasion. I don't enjoy them every day. 
maybe one time a month in the summer and less in the winter. And to me, that feels like balance. And the fact that I'm aware that they are not good for me is another thing. Um, in fact, processed meats were actually labeled a group one carcinogen, which means they are known to cause cancer. That was also new to me. And uh, now that I've known that I've been trying to eat them even less <laughs> than what I do, but wow, a known carcinogen. I feel like not enough people know that our lunch meats, our hot dogs, our uh, ham, all of that stuff, bacon and sausage, sadly, is a known carcinogen. Now, fun fact about me, the very first food I ate after being vegan for some time was in fact a hot dog. <laughs> I was camping with friends and I brought all my vegan food, but the guys wanted to hunt and catch food so they didn't really bring that much and all of my food was eaten. So we were so hungry and my friend and I were underneath a car bridge and it was freezing and really windy and she started making this tiny fire underneath this bridge while the boys were still trying to catch something and then my friend finds one lowly hot dog in the cooler and after not eating for some time even after not eating meat for over a year I ended up eating part of that hot dog and eventually us girls said, okay, we're leaving, we're finding food. And of course the boys came with us and we found this small town grill. And of course there was nothing vegan on the menu. So I ordered a burger and that was the end of my veganism. I can be kind of an all or nothing person. So when I already broke with the hot dog, I was like, well, oh, well, I'm done with that. Um, but all that to say, I don't love the way the U.S. guidelines set up this in regards for allowing that much sugar and refined carb consumption a day. I think it should just be a general aim for less and it may differ from day to day instead of almost like, instead of like you have to hit one cup of greens every day. Oh, I can hit one cup of sugar. Like it's not that much, but you kind of get what I'm saying. Because I don't know, I picture a child who you say you can have this much sugar or this much candy each day and they're probably going to want to hit that limit every single day when maybe a healthier approach would be no limits or numbers, just some days there's more, some days there's less, some days there's none. And I feel like these guidelines really should be setting the standard for healthy living just because it's the guide. It's what we should be trying to aim for versus this, ah, you can have sugar, you can have refined grain, you can have all these things that are unhealthy for you. It just doesn't really, for me, it just doesn't feel like it's separating those things enough. But maybe you do prefer the flexibility. And yes, this does make it more easy to follow. So I am torn. But they do also include graphs in the document that shows where Americans are at. And unfortunately, despite this flexibility, the majority of people are nowhere near these guidelines. We all know we eat way too less, way too less not enough vegetables and fruit. And 95% of people are I mean, through the roof over the limit of 50% refined grains and way below the recommendation for whole grains. And most Americans consume 77 grams of sugar per day. And maybe that is because some of the wording is a little bit vague. It's hard to tell what 10% of calories is. So instead of just saying limiting it, maybe then it's like, oh, it's healthy. I can eat it. I can eat it. And then we're way over the limit. Maybe. I don't know. Who even looks at the guidelines? Maybe just me. But moving on to their next little thing on the my plate, which is dairy. They have a cup on it for low-fat dairy. They say you should have three cups per day. 
Now in smaller print, they do also identify fortified soy milk as an alternative beverage, but actually not other nut milks because soy milks has more similar macros and vitamins as milk. Now, this differs from the Harvard guidelines and the Canadian guidelines where both of these organizations have replaced the milk recommendation with water. Now, dairy is an interesting one because it does have a lot of vitamins and it's very high in protein and we've all been taught it's good for bones. However, recent research has actually shown a correlation between countries that have the highest milk consumption who have the highest rates of fractures. And especially in Asian countries, they don't really consume dairy and they have some of the lowest rates of fractures. But it is a very nutrient-dense food, so it shouldn't be dismissed entirely because this could be a way as well for lower-income families to receive some of those essential nutrients. But once again, there is not just a limit, a requirement for three cups a day, specifically low-fat However, an important thing to know is that the U.S. government has had money in the dairy industry for a while. And in 2021, they made an additional investment of $80 million. The USDA has ties with the agricultural industry, hence maybe why they are the last different organization to continue to recommend milk for health. Low-fat milk has also not been shown to be beneficial for weight loss, and most people tend to make it make up for it by just consuming more cheese or other calories, which is the greatest contributor to saturated fats in the American diet. Okay, so maybe you know my opinion on dairy at this point. I do feel like I've kind of thrown it under the bus multiple times in this podcast, which wasn't even my intention, but it's just come up a lot in class as well for me. But there are some studies that do show that it can be beneficial, um, but I think it just... It's interesting how these conflicts of interest are allowed in our policymaking and how the results differ from other places that don't have conflicts of interest. For example, Canada has a much stricter policymaking process. They're not allowed to converse with the people who have money in those different industries versus in the U.S., they are allowed, if you have a lot of money in some sort of agricultural and dairy Kellogg's, Kraft, those policy, big big companies get to have a say in the American guidelines for diet. And that just does not seem right to me. I mean, of course, they're going to want to allow for 50% refined grains. They're going to want to allow for dairy consumption. They want to make that a recommendation because that's going to get them more money. Of course, everything's all about money. But Uh, That just was another thing that really separates the U.S. from Canada is Canada does not allow that, um, which also influences my opinion on why I think I like the Canadian one better. Now, moving on from the my plate, they do get into some really specifics and see we can see here if you're anywhere close to following this U.S. guide. Now, they say you should have two and a half cups of vegetables each day and two cups of fruit. Now, I don't often actually measure my veggies or fruit with a measuring cup, but it wasn't till recently I finally did start including more fruit in my diet. I never really ate much of it, but it is good for you. And they also do clarify that these are whole fruits and not fruit juices. I personally have been enjoying berries and my oats in the morning, doing more smoothies and apples and peanut butter. So good. Now, they also include 8 ounces of seafood per week, 
five ounces of nuts and seed per week. And seafood, especially in fatty fish, are high in DHA and EPA. And DHA is incredible for brain health and it can also help with muscle recovery. And I just read a study about it yesterday, how it's really important for as well for pregnant women. And it was probably recommended by your doctor to take a supplement that had DHA in it if you've ever been pregnant. And I've been trying to eat fish at least once a week, but if you don't enjoy seafood, you might be lacking in this area. Nuts have also been shown to have incredible health benefits, and I could go through buckets and buckets of nut butter in this home, no problem. I'm obsessed with it. I have it every day. Now, I do feel like it's harder to eat just plain nuts as a snack to me, but... Aldi has macadamia nuts now. They are so good and I found that eating just a handful of those is so satiating and they taste so good. Now fun fact, peanuts are not actually nuts, they are legumes. Doesn't mean they're bad for you, they just don't count for your 5 ounces of nut consumption. Their final summary is that basically have 85% of your foods be whole foods and then enjoy 15% of your calories consuming what you like. Which is interesting because... Earlier, they said you could have 10% of your calories from sugar, 10% from saturated fats. Um, And there was one other section for 10% of something else bad, which is way more than 15%. So I don't really know what they're doing with their math there. I think maybe their idea was don't go over 10%. But once again, if people say like, oh, that's the limit for each one, it just not, it's not very clear. I don't really know what they're trying to say here, but maybe you've heard of the 80-20 rule, and that's basically, yes, enjoy those sugary, fatty, salty foods in moderation, and then have the rest of your foods be healthy. And so that's basically the same thing. They're just saying 85 to 15. And I do really like an 80-20 or 85-15 approach, and that can really help people start to make those life changes. And I feel like that's a little different than all of these recommendations with, you know, 50 grams of sugar a day. But I do, and I don't like this recommendation at the same time, as you can see. Now, moving on to the Canadian guidelines, I do like these. They are much simpler, and the whole guide is so much shorter, and their wording just clearly separates unhealthy from healthy foods. Now, what is unique about their guide is they also include environmental considerations, and they go into some detail about um, indigenous people in their country and encouraging some of those cultural foods that can be healthy as well. They address eating more plant-based foods and less fruits and veggies, whole grains, nuts, and soy while lowering saturated fats and processed meats. And if you decide to eat animal foods, plant foods should be emphasized. They also recommend drinking water as your beverage of choice. Now, these two guidelines are similar, but there are just subtle differences. For example, when the U.S. guidelines list their protein source, they start off their list with meat, dairy, and eggs, while the Canadian list starts with the plant versions of proteins, including legumes, nuts, seeds, tofu, soy beverage, fish, shellfish, eggs. Then they go on to poultry, lean meat, wild game, lower-fat milk, lower-fat kefir, and cheeses lower in fat and sodium. That is the whole list. I just gave it to you. But they also encourage eating more plant-based foods because it's good for the environment. Now, it's 
also much more simplified, as I said. They don't go into how much of everything you should be eating. It doesn't seem confusing or vague to me. They don't even mention refined carbs. They just say eat whole grains. There's no daily limit or daily goals. It's simply eating more plant-based foods. Eat your fruits, eat your veggies. It's good for you. It's good for the environment. They also give their evidence then not just coming from the reference list, but in an easy-to-read table. So you could actually look... This is the recommendation. This is where the study came from. This is why they came up with this. It's really laid out nice. I highly encourage you to look at that one. Harvard School of Public Health has also published their own version of the MyPlate with some small variations. Now, they specify whole grains, not half refined grains like the USDA. They just say whole grains, which includes whole wheat, barley, wheat berries, quinoa, oats, brown rice, and food made with them, such as whole wheat pasta, because they say it has a milder effect on blood sugar and insulin rather than white bread, white rice, and other refined grains. Now, I have seen some hype about white rice recently. I haven't looked into it a ton, but basically people are saying, hey, it's easier to digest, and the content in white rice isn't really a lot different from brown rice. And a lot of healthy countries consume a lot of white rice. But I learned something interesting. If you put your rice in the fridge for 24 hours, I think it is, the white rice develops a resistant starch that slows the jump in your blood sugar. I've been following a lot of NutriSense lately. They're an amazing company that has a continuous glucose monitor. And it gives people the power to see how different foods affect their body and blood sugar in real time. This isn't an ad. I'd love to be sponsored by them though. But anyway, this guide tried white rice and then later rice that had been refrigerated and the results were so different. The refrigerated white rice had a much lower raise and blood glucose. And I have a study in the show notes on that as well. It's pretty incredible. Now also on the plate, similarly to Canada, they have water instead of milk and even specifically say to limit dairy. And also skip sugary beverages. I think people are often unaware of how much sugar they are consuming, particularly in lattes and other sugary drinks. I had a chai latte the other day and it was so sweet, so sweet. I wasn't at Starbucks, but their drink sugar amounts are really easy to find. And a grande or medium-sized chai latte at Starbucks contains... 42 grams of sugar. So instead of sugaring up on drinks, they make recommend plain water, tea, and coffee. Harvard also says to limit juice to one small cup a day. Juice can also spike your blood sugar and it doesn't come with all the fiber from the whole fruit. So often choosing the whole fruit is much better for you. Consuming a glass would often be the equivalent of eating, for example, six apples, which your jaw would get pretty tired after you eat that many. And you also lose the nutritional benefit when you when you juice, you lose the fiber and stuff. But uh, they do recommend four servings of fruit and five servings of vegetables each per day. They also make more room on the vegetables on the plate than fruit. Um, but yeah, four servings of fruit and five servings of vegetables. So this is a lot that's a lot more than what the USDA guidelines recommends. And they also, that's the same thing that the American Heart Association recommends as well. 
Now, something else unique is that they have a spot for oil. They comment they do not recommend a low-fat diet, that low-fat does not necessarily mean healthy, and to consume plant oils, not partially hydrogenated oils, which contribute to trans fats. I'm actually pretty sure those are being taken out of our market right now. Um, but they also say to leave one-fourth of your plate for protein from fish, poultry, beans, and nuts. And then I love that they included this. They also have a little figure on the outside of the plate that appears to be moving, and they say be active. So their own version of my plate, just some subtle differences there, but I do like that one as well. Now, the American Heart Association has been the leader in releasing guidelines to help protect Americans against heart disease, which is the number one killer in the U.S. They just released in 2022 what they are calling Life's Essential 8, which they defined as key measures for improving and maintaining cardiovascular health. They even have a fun assessment called My Life Check where you can go online and do it yourself. They say good habits build better health. And this is so true and that's why I did a whole episode on habits and why we really should be focusing on what as well. But you can sign up like I did and fill out those questions and get a score. They have you enter in how many servings of what you eat on average during the week. And then it comes back just to an awareness of how close are we really to these dietary patterns. Now, I did have trouble filling it out because I do feel like my, like, I feel like I really do fluctuate each week and I don't always measure, but maybe I should so I can get a better idea. But um, you also have to enter in cholesterol and fasting glucose. Maybe you could skip that part. Um, but I was recently tested. So my end score result was 94.4%. And I'd say that's pretty good. It's out of 100. Now, what are the essential eight you may be wondering? Number one is none other but eat better and create healthy eating patterns. The same wording that the USDA Dietary American Guidelines use. And of course, it is the very first thing that we think of. A healthy eating pattern includes vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans, legumes, nuts, plant-based proteins, lean animal proteins, skinless poultry, fish, and seafood. That is their list there. And they also say limit sweetened drinks, alcohol, sodium, red and processed meats, refined carbohydrates like added sugar and processed grain foods, full fat dairy, highly processed foods, and tropical oils like coconut and palm. Now coconut and palm and even full fat dairy are a little bit controversial, but that is what they have on their list. And you could probably guess what number two is. It is none other than staying active. That's kind of a given no-brainer. And number three is quitting tobacco, something not too many people talk about. Number four is getting better sleep and getting off those devices at night. And they even specified getting the devices away from where you're sleeping at night. Number five is managing your weight because it can put you at risk for multiple more diseases. Number six is controlling cholesterol. They differentiate between LDL and HDL or bad and good cholesterol, quote unquote. Now this is also interesting because we know some foods contain cholesterol and specifically eggs, the egg yolks were labeled the bad guy in years past and then everyone just started eating egg whites. But dietary cholesterol is thought of to be different than what your body actually makes. Your body actually makes cholesterol itself. Now, this is how statins work. They actually block the enzyme that makes cholesterol in your body. But right now, the current recommendation is pretty much 
that all these guidelines are recommending is to limit saturated fat because this seems to contribute more to poor cholesterol levels. The last two are manage blood sugar levels and managing blood pressure. With your blood sugar levels, these refined carbs and sugary foods and drinks are going to have those spikes we don't want, and their recommendation for sugar is also much less than the USDA at only 25 grams for women and 36 grams for men. So those are some dietary guidelines, and now you can maybe answer the question of how close are you to any of these dietary guidelines, and what guide do you like best and why? I like them all for different reasons. I do, you probably already guessed, the USDA is probably my least favorite. But at the same time, there are parts I like about it. Um, to summarize, the USDA recommends more of an 85 to 15% approach and gives lots more specifics on each food while still encouraging a healthy eating pattern with two and a half cups of veggies and two cups of fruit a day. But they are more lenient on saying you can have 50 grams of sugar and 50% of your carbs can be refined. Canadian guidelines are much simpler and they don't give recommended daily amounts. They just say focus on plant-based foods, include plant-based proteins, and while the animals are listed first in those protein sources in the U.S., Canada guidelines say focus more on plant-based sources for protein. Harvard Health created their own version of the MyPlate that changes our dairy to water because they believe the evidence does not strongly support enough the consumption of low-fat milk for a recommendation for everyone. And they also have a spot for oil. And they say don't even try to go low-fat because fats are good for you. They also give they don't give any room to refined grains on the plate with one fourth year plate devoted to whole grains. They also included exercise and have even more of their plate devoted to vegetables. The American Heart Association also tried to take a holistic approach by incorporating eight different lifestyle behaviors for a healthy life instead of just focusing on food. They're also much more conservative in their sugars with only 100 to 150 calories. Harvard Health also has a large serving of fruits and vegetables each day, equaling to about nine and a half cups when you combine the two. Now, I think all of these guides are great. They're a good place to start. I'll link them all in the show notes, so I highly encourage you to check them out. The US one is really long, but if you want to take a glance and just compare them, they do have nice graphics in the US one. I do like that. Um, but see what you like best and why. And as always, it would help me out a ton if you left a rating and review. I really appreciate you all listening and I'd like to hear which dietary guideline is your favorite. Bye!